Magic Mike Show. Where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show. Tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show. You can trust the show is the bomb because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com. What's up, everybody? I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. And this is the Magic Mike Show, episode 493, Mr. Savage. Huzzah! We're, we're seven away from 500. Will horse racing last episode 500? I'm really not sure at this point. About minus 110 each side right now. It's been a, it's been a <laughs> brutal, brutal couple of weeks. Yeah, it has. And uh, it, it feels eerily similar to uh, uh, what we went through two weeks ago with, uh, with after the Whitney weekend. Um, but, hey, we'll try and, uh, you know, keep spirits up or at least talk about everything else. We will talk about what happened with New York Thunder. But... A huge weekend. We had uh, six grade one races at Saratoga over the weekend. We covered the pick six on the podcast. Um, Bolshoi Ballet winning made it so I wasn't going to catch that either way. And then we also had the Pat O'Brien stakes at Del Mar and the Pacific Classic we can kind of look ahead to. So we'll put a nice little uh, look ahead, Cherry, on top of this Sunday here. Mike, how was your weekend? It was good, man. I got to spend it in Vegas. Got to bet on some football. Pretty excited about that. Had a pretty good baseball day on Sunday, so happy about that. Uh, horse racing was good. Was able to hit the late pick four at Del Mar on Sunday, so that kind of made the day nice. the weekend a little salvageable. Uh, I I didn't get to watch Saturday's card at Saratoga Live because of what I was doing in Vegas, and I, I gotta say I'm kind of happy I missed uh, the New York Thunder incident. I don't know if my stomach could have painted another situation like that with what we saw from Maple Leaf Mel. Uh, I've obviously heard quite a bit about it, uh, but have not watched the replay. Don't really have any interest in watching the replay. We'll talk more about that race obviously coming up. I think the three-year-old picture is really interesting. Massive race from Disarm. We'll talk about the three-year-olds there. Obviously, Archangelo ran well. I was more impressed with what Disarm did though. Uh, but we'll get there so eventually. We get to the, the Travers, and I gotta say. My Go Rocket Ride at number one looking a lot better than the Forte at number one that we did just a week ago here. Okay, we'll talk about that because I'm going to ask you if you still think it, but we'll wait. We'll save that till we get to the Traverse Stakes to ask you about that. Uh, you're right. Yes, he is definitely. I think you need to rank him above Forte uh, after what happened there. But uh, listen, big show. Let's get into it, Mike. Lots to talk about. Ride up. And Mike, starting things off on Friday, August 25th, race nine, the feature race of Saratoga was the grade one personal ensign stakes. And it was supposed to be a showdown between Clarier and Ness from the Shuvi handicap. And Idiomatic said, nah, don't forget about me over here. It's a sloppy sealed track and it's going to be mostly a, a super highway on the dirt on this weekend at Saratoga. I'm going to show you why. And she goes, gate to wire wins uh, quite handily four lengths there in the end. What do you take away from this race, Mike? Not a ton. Um, I, I thought the idiomatic ran really well. I think we have to respect idiomatic moving forward. Very nice effort to be able to go gate to wire in the way that she did. Nest just didn't quite look like Nest the whole race, and you kind of saw that from the finish there. The gap between the top three back to the last three was what was really surprising to me. 12 lengths there between Nest and Malroy, and really Clarier, who's the storyline there, ends up running fifth. But Secret Oath ran really well. Uh, but look, it, it, this is one of those spots we talked about this in the pick six preview. To me, it was you either take Nest or you use Nest and Idiomatic and maybe Secret Oath, Nest and Idiomatic, maybe 63 caliber. And it kind of played out in that manner. I'm wondering what the price on Idiomatic is next time out because this is going to look awesome on paper. You're going to have back to back to back 100 buyers. 
the surface and the pace setup probably help Idiomatic quite a bit. When we go move forward and we go to the Breeders' Cup, you're going to have a lot more horses in the race. You're probably going to have more speed in the race. You're probably going to have Idiomatic at you know, three to one, two and a half to one against a tougher field. So not sure Idiomatic's playable moving forward, but you know you can't take anything away for the win here in the personal lens. She looked good. I mean, she did what she needed to do, and she had lone speed advantage on paper. She took advantage of it from the rail. Flo did the right thing. And she'd shown several times this year that it two, she's still undefeated at two turns, I think, in five starts now this year. Um, she showed that she can just power away there. If you let leave her alone early, she does what she's supposed to do, uh, takes advantage of that lone pace. So I thought she did a great job. Uh, boy, a rough weekend for Todd Pletcher horses. They just, I don't think a single Pletcher horse really, uh, other than the two-year-old on Saturday, fierceness, I, I don't, I really don't think any of them other than that horse really liked the track at all, Saratoga, with the slop, the mud. Uh, it was a very cuppy track. You heard that from a lot of trainers over the weekend. It, for this, I, I'm kind of with you. I think I'm just going to draw a line through this for a, for a lot of these horses. I thought Secret Oath ran well, but she took advantage of Nest uh, struggling over the track. Clarier was a no-show. Do you think Clarier is done? I, I know it's a very pointed question. But is she done, or will you give her one more shot? No, she's not done. I mean, look, she she was the second choice in this race, and people thought that, like, legitimately were making arguments this is a two-horse race, and Clarier had a shot at running big. So I, I'm not going to go from... Uh, elite contender in this group to done that quickly. I think that you got to be careful at what price you take her. I think you have to be careful with the field she's facing at what price you take her because to me, when she has won against the big girls, she has done it because of the setups in situational, situa situational races versus being the just dominant horse in that field. So I think done maybe a little, uh, of a, a little bit of an over-exaggeration, but I definitely don't think that she's where she's currently where she was being rated going into this race uh, i would expect at this point that you would see idiomatic and nest go to the spinster stakes at keeneland that's a bridge cup one year for the distaff uh clarier maybe she goes there maybe she goes to belmont for the bell dame she's got a few options there um 63 caliber absolute no show this is a step up in class four but she's struggled several times over wet sloppy track so she's i think she's like a grade three type i think you know i understand why the connections put her into this grade one spot just didn't work out for her and, and she doesn't like a muddy track anyway so um i will give her a pass uh at, as long as she drops back down in class a little bit next out so uh we'll see about that one yeah i think one of the themes of this saratoga weekend is called is going to be drawing a line through it because i think there's a lot of races here where you're just like yeah okay it happened but i'm not going to mm -hmm. take this data point as one of my big data points to move forward on just because the way the track was playing and how you mentioned it like you hear it a lot with churchill you hear it with delmar where like sometimes horses just don't like the track saratoga you rarely hear oh the horse hated the track it seemed like a lot of horses hated the track and you saw career worst efforts from a lot of the horses over the weekend and that tells me that it's it, it you're not you can't take everything with a grain of salt over what happened this weekend and that you have to just be hesitant to say okay these are 100 percent solid data points because of what we've seen from a lot of these horses prior to it just don't match with what we saw over the weekend well ness not the only horse to go down this weekend at saratoga to a gate to wire winner on the dirt because uh, on saturday race seven the first grade one race of the day elite power goes down to gunite with a super impressive effort from that horse and i unlike with ness where i think okay she just struggled on the track and didn't show up i thought both horses really threw down here um i thought that gunite won 
because of Tyler Gaffleyon's really superb ride. Like he off the turn, he pulled an IRAD out of the playbook. Uh, like right at the like first chapter of the Irad Ortiz Jr. playbook is off the turn on the lead, go four five wide out and force them to go inside. Irad went inside and you saw that horse. Maybe it was the 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 track which was it's listed fast, but there was some moisture in there for sure. Uh, the rail looked like it was pretty uh, bad spot to be on. Also, elite power carrying six pounds more than Gunite, and I think those two things combined, Gunite with that easy lead. You see twenty three point one forty six point two. Tyler Gaffleyon, I think, is the reason this horse won as much as anything, Mike. Yeah, you mentioned the Irad-esque, Saez-esque move off the turn to force the horse to pass you on the inside. Well, I'll, I'll one-up you with that one and say the Johnny Velasquez early ride, where Gunite clearly the fastest horse, and Pipeline kind of up there with Gunite, but Tyler Gaffleyon doesn't ask Gunite for speed at any point and uses the natural speed of the horse to get to the inside and get toward the lead. You know you've got Rosario on, on pipeline. He's not going to really go nuts up front. He's going to then back off. And Gunnate able to essentially go very much within himself early in this race, I thought was the difference there. Because then when, when Gaffleon was able to recognize elite power right behind him, he's like, okay, cool. I'm going to go three, four wide. If you want to go five wide, go for it. And if you want to try and go inside, go for it. But I've got a ton of horse left because of how well I was able to really rate that speed and use the natural speed early. And that's what really propelled Gunite to the victory here was the way that Tyler rode early to get out of the gate and get the lead in a comfortable manner. And the way he rode late to force Irad to make a decision. Do you want the dead rail or do you want to go five wide? And I could keep floating you out and hurting you too, by the way, if you do want to go five wide. Another Irad playbook move. He <laughs> forces Irad's hand to go inside. And then Gunite able to just kind of extend and pull away. I thought it was really impressive. I was surprised by this. I thought Elite Power was going to be able to run Gunite down again. I felt Gunite had a pace advantage last time and was able to do it. But the way that Gaffleone managed the pace and then managed the stretch made a massive difference versus last time these two faced each other. Uh, the, the way that it kind of went down in terms of Tyler out, I'll say it, out riding Irad Ortiz Jr., uh, it reminded me of the Derby City Distaff on Derby Weekend at Churchill when, if you remember, Matarea got the win and Goodnight Olive was the best horse and loaded, and Tyler on Wicked Halo kept Goodnight Olive pinned on the rail so she couldn't get out in the stretch. It was like, he's out riding Irad, and that's twice now that he's shown in a major grade one race on a huge day. It's like, I'm going to stick your ass on the inside, and you're not going by me, boy. So uh, that was you know, as somebody who had, you know, Gunite as well as Elite Power on their ticket and Gunite being the better price, I was very happy uh, with what I had seen from here. Uh, as far as this sprint goes from a bigger picture, is Elite Power still the division leader? Did Gunite take him over? I mean, this was seven furlongs, the Breeders' Cup sprint. Did Elite Power won last year? It's going to be at six, and that seems like it might be better distance for him. It might be more than five horses, too. I think that was a big part of this <laughs> yeah. year where uh, Elite Power... Look, Gunite's game is to go to the front and go, right? Or be at least forwardly placed, be on the pace and go. Elite Power wants to be coming from behind and, and doesn't want to have to do the dirty work and then be able to come from behind. And in the Breeders' Cup sprint, that sets up exceptionally well for a horse like Elite Power because guess what? Sprinters generally have speed. Usually you got a couple of horses that want to go. And out in California, there's not very good sprinters, but there's some fast horses early that are going to inject pace into that race. I think that all plays into Elite Power's hands. I'm hoping we get these two about the same price in the Breeders' Cup Sprint, and if we do, give me Elite Power all day, every day. 
Yeah, Mike Velos, in uh, kind of echoing your statement there, and, and I agree with you guys as well. Six furlongs, Elite Power is going to like there. He's going to have that that late kick. going to have more of a punch, right, when he's going six furlongs uh, at Santa Anita. And, yeah, there's always a lot of speed that shows up for this Breeders' Cup sprint, um, even if there's horses that uh, probably shouldn't be there. You know, that they, those are the ones that really go in there as speed balls. We'll see who comes out of the Bing Crosby, and we'll see what happens with the uh, – the California horses, because you could see the chosen Ron show up in that spot. You're expecting to see him there. Uh, but lots to think about moving for the Breeders' Cup sprint. Race eight was an allowance. We'll skip that one. Race nine, this was the H. Allen Jerkins Memorial Stakes. And this is where things really went bad for the day for uh, for a lot of people. And uh, if you quit after watching this race, after this race uh, happened, don't blame you. I kind of wanted to, but unfortunately, this is my job. So here I was still doing it. Uh, New York Thunder. The, very eerily similar to what happened with Maple Leaf Mel in his first grade one, uh, undefeated, super talented, steps up and is demolishing the field off the turn. And not unlike with Maple Leaf Mel, there were two Bob Bafferts that he was making look like 50K claimers. I mean, Arabian Lion was trying to keep up with him. Arabian Lion was five lengths behind him at the top of the stretch and was just completely fading and falling behind. And then New York Thunder uh, goes wrong in a very, and not just goes wrong, but it was a very horrific uh, way that in which he went wrong uh, near the 16th pole. One in Vermilion, a horse that I, when I was watching it live, Mike, I commented and said, he's just speed horse. He's at the rear. He's, he's at the back. And this is a conveyor belt kind of a track. Like, I, I don't think, I mean, I didn't think he had a chance anyways, but I didn't love it at all where he was at. Turns out that happened to be the right move because I read Ortiz Jr. was able to pilot in passing and get a pretty big win, but um the only thing to really take from this and i didn't see this uh i'm guessing you didn't either curtis manlow saying in the chat irad got upset that he couldn't have a winner's circle celebration um uh, i did not know that but that's uh that's pretty shitty <laughs> if that's true yeah, just a terrible situation i when we talked about maple leaf mel i i cannot remember seeing that right where you had a horse who was cruising to a grade one and breaks down and for it to happen on the undercard on the two biggest days at Saratoga over a multi-week, just two, three weeks apart stretch is just horrific. And the fact that, like, look, New York Thunder and Maple Leaf Mel were special horses, too. What they yeah. were doing when it happened was absolutely special. And it's it's a shame for the sport. It's a shame that Naira is not handling this better. I'd love to know more. Like, the fact that now Naira's coming out and saying, well, you've got to have your veterinarian sign that they've seen the horse at least work before they enter them. It's like, what happened to all these race day checks that Naira's talking about all the time on yeah. Fox? Uh, like, they take care of the horses in that manner. Is that not happening? Are you just lying about that? Like, so a lot of questions that I would love answered from the Naira perspective that we just have not gotten. And the first thing they say after the, that Travers Day is, one and eleven are off the turf. We'll have scratches shortly. Like that's the the statement, and that's really disappointing. Just from a, a horse fan, like outside of all the gambling aspect of it, you, you want to know how we are preventing this. What are we doing to make sure that this isn't going to happen again? And and how are we trying to adjust the track? Do we think it was the track? Do we believe there was something wrong with the horse? Was there ever anything in the vet reports that pointed at this? What did the vet report look like for New York Thunder that day? None of that information shared. Really disappointing in that front, and and really disappointing to lose the second really special three-year-old we've seen over the last two weeks doing something incredibly special and in the manner we lost them. It's just, it's horrific. And it's, it's a gut punch, man. It is just an absolute gut punch to the sport, to someone who loves the sport, to the people who were there and saw it. I'm sorry. It's like, I can't even imagine being at Saratoga. I know Aaron and Jared, like Jared went for two weeks. It was the two weeks this happened. Like it just absolutely mm -hmm. 
brutal and so hard to wake up excited the next morning about the sport when that's lingering over it. Yeah, it was uh, it was terrible, and uh, the I. Uh, obviously, there's no replay that's posted on that you can see online, or at least official replay that you can find. Um, but I still went ahead and, and I wasn't sure, but I was like, I'll post my reaction to it because I felt like it was, it would be something other people could relate to. And based on the comments I got, it was pretty great. Um, it was it's the only time that I've ever posted a video where I let myself drop the f bomb uh, in a recorded video and didn't edit it out or anything because I was so angry and upset about what had happened. Um, yeah, everything is a bad. Uh, Kevin B says Naira CEO is a joke. Mike, I won't put you on the spot, but I'll I'll agree with that. I know that Aaron did a big uh, video talking about that as well after the Maple Leaf Mel situation. So um, it's you know just the whole thing's terrible. Um, I agree that uh, I saw it earlier. Nick Siever said why they didn't just cancel Sunday is crazy. I mean it's just I the mood Sunday morning at the track when you see like the training videos and pictures. It just felt like there was a big cloud hanging over it. it just felt dampened and there's not a lot of noise during morning workouts anyways other than just the usual horses going by occasional someone shouts out something but yeah not uh not a good situation um let's move on from this spot try and bring things up a little bit because this next race uh we should have been after the ballerina handicap been just elated losing our minds with how unbelievable performance echo zulu put on for the second straight start uh, she has now posted the co-highest buyer twice this year for any horse in America. Once for winning the Honorable Miss, now for winning the Ballerina Handicap. Uh, absolutely amazing effort. But I will tell you, Mike, if you were watching live the whole time uh, she came off the turn, you didn't breathe until she crossed the... until uh, Hell, the, for me, it was on the gallop back. Until you knew everybody, including that speedy front runner, were safe. It was a tense situation, and, and instead of celebrating an absolutely awesome, epic performance from her, we're just sitting there praying, please bring seven horses back home. So that's how it was watching it live, but if you got to see the replay later, what did you think of Echo Zulu? Yeah, I can't imagine. Hopefully the mic's better now. I'm a magic. You mentioned that. I flipped Much it better, yep. Uh, so hopefully, I can't imagine sitting in the stands and, and holding your breath and crossing your fingers when you're seeing this type of performance and, and not being able to celebrate Echo Zulu in the manner she should be celebrated because of what happened in the previous race is just, it's a shame. I mean, it, it's just so sad that you can't celebrate these type of efforts and these type of performances. Second great effort in a row here from Echo Zulu. And she took on all comers here early. I mean, good night, Olive, a little more forwardly placed, tried to press the pace against Echo Zulu, made a little bit of a move around the turn, and Echo Zulu just absolutely shrugged her off down the stretch here and did it in racehorse time. And 108 is very, very fast when you're going what seven furlongs, and she did that on her own and was very comfortable moving forward. I thought she ran phenomenally well. I thought good night, Olive ran pretty well here, considering... Good night, Olive's game isn't really too pressed. And I think Irad kind of realized, hey, we've got to be forward here if we want to have any shot at winning this and running down Echo Zulu late. There's no one else who's going to be able to press Echo Zulu. And if she's out there, she's gone. And so I like the tactics there from the Good Night Olive team, but you're not going to be able to run with her. We saw about a two and a half length difference there. It was about six lengths back to Matray and Carmel Swirl. We were very close. Uh, again, this Echo Zulu thing, like she should definitely be the favorite in the Philly Mare sprint, but Goodnight Olive definitely had the worst of the situation here, right? Where the gap probably not as big as what we saw on the racetrack, considering Goodnight Olive will, does not want to do what Goodnight Olive had to do to press Echo Zulu in any way. So another interesting one where I think, you know, you're going to have a short price on Echo Zulu, a longer price on Goodnight Olive, and there's probably a bigger gap there than when you need, than what you're going to necessarily see in the talent. 
Uh, Michael Olsen, uh, you know, saying what I thought was correct. You know, I like seeing Echo Zulu in the middle, kind of the same thing we saw with Tyler Gaffleone and Gun Knight earlier on the card. Uh, what did you think about Irad's decision with Goodnight Olive to put her very close to the leaks? I thought that was the correct move with the way that the track was playing. It didn't play to her strength, and she ended up not winning and not capitalizing it, but she still finished second, very, you know, six and a quarter lengths clear of a grade one winner in Matarea. Um, I thought it was the right move and just didn't pay out. What, did you agree with it? Yeah, I don't know what else Irad could have done here, because let's, let's flip the script. Let's say Irad doesn't go. Let's say Goodnight Olive sits fourth. You, what ends up happening? Echo Zulu, Echo Zulu by Goodnight, a country mile. <laughs> Good night, Olive runs second, right? Yeah. So if you you kind of know what's going to happen if Echo Zulu just gets to go, so you've got to figure out. Okay, you know I'm the be next best horse or the best horse in this race. Clearly, the two best best equine athletes here in this race. So if you know that and you know the other one has the pace edge, you've got to use your horse to try and force the hand of Echo Zulu and say, I got to make you work at least a little bit up there and then hope put making you put in the work allows me to get by. But it is very hard to press a elite world-class level sprinter and then also pass that sprinter late. Usually it's two horses press and someone picks up the pieces from off of it. You need the setup. You can't do the dirty work and finish the job a lot of times when you're in these sprints. And, you know, Echo Zulu, was able to get a little more comfortable. Good night, Olive. Out of her game a little bit. And like I said, talent-wise, I don't think there's as big of a gap as you're going to see price-wise in these two horses when we move forward. So I I'm not saying I hate Echo Zulu. Echo Zulu is a different fa definite fade. I'm saying situationally, Good Night Olive's price could be higher than it should be next time these two face because of what Good Night Olive had to do in this race versus what Echo Zulu had to do in this race. Echo Zulu's run line is just, it's a thing of beauty because... She's only lost twice in 11 career starts. And you got to remember that that means she's been facing stakes companies since her second career start. And almost all of them have been grade one races. It's very rarely that she's even dropped below grade one. That's just because there aren't that many grade one sprint races for Philly or for female horses. So she finishes fourth in the Kentucky Oaks. And at that point, I think we all knew, and you, you had been on this train for a long time, that she was a one better at a, as a one-turn horse. The only time she lost, she finished second in the Breeders' Cup Philly Mare Sprint. So you would think that they will want to go back to the Philly Mare Sprint. That's a grade $1 million purse. Ron Esterman asked an interesting question. Echo Zulu to the Sprint against the boys for $2 million. What do you think about that? You know, I thought about this right after this race. Um, and I was like, well, why, why don't you just send Echo Zulu to the Sprint? You get to go six instead of seven. I think there's an edge there for Echo Zulu. I don't think you do it with Gunite. I mean, that's the problem is you have Echo Zulu and Gunite and, and mm -hmm. the Atkinson barn. And, and the issue there is they both want to be forwardly placed. And so you'd have Gunite chasing Echo Zulu. And Gunite's best chance of winning the sprint is to have as slow of a pace as possible and be able to sit close to it. And Echo Zulu's best chance of winning the sprint would be have as slow of a pace possible and being on it. And so it's, it's a situation where... Maybe you look at who's possibly being entered, and if it looks like Gunite's the speed, maybe you let Echo Zulu in, and Echo Zulu goes, and Gunite sits right off of it. But the issue is that the same barn is training the two horses that have similar running styles, and I think that's the main reason you would not see Echo Zulu in the sprint. I think that if this was Asterson's only sprint horse, and I do think Echo Zulu is better at six and seven, I think that, that you could make a reasonable argument why she should be in the sprint and not the Philly and Mare sprint. But I don't think that that's going to end up happening. Uh, I would I would send a Philly Mare sprint. This was seven furlongs. That race is seven furlongs. The Breeders' Cup sprint is six. We literally just talked about with the Gunite race. There's a lot of speed that goes to the Breeders' Cup sprint. 
Um, and it's a different kind of speed than what she faces a lot of times. So I would keep her in the Philly Mary Sprint. Um, I think that's the correct decision for, for what you do there. What's interesting about Echo Zulu and Gun Knight, as Musin said after the four go, or I think it was maybe perhaps it was Sunday, uh, he said, Echo Zulu is probably going to train up to the Breeders' Cup. Gun Knight is a horse that he loves training, he loves racing, so they'll probably give him one race in between uh, before the Breeders' Cup sprint. But they've been training against each other for most of their lives, like with each other for most of their lives. And he said, poor Gun Knight has been facing Echo Zulu in the mornings most of his life. Like, he's happy to face a horse like Elite Power because he's been facing Echo Zulu. So that that says a lot. And, and also don't forget with Gun Knight, last year, he probably should have been in the sprint. He went to the dirt mile because Asmussen had What's that horse's name? Nashville? You remember that horse that like yeah. was an absolute freak and then was a complete no-show in the sprint? And I don't think we've seen him since then. Um, so he likes to keep his horses separate. He also has another sprinter named Skelly that is on a five-race win streak. If Skelly is going to be in training for the Breeders' Cup, that's another one he might throw into the sprint. So I'd keep them separated, but it is kind of fun to talk about. And maybe you send Echo Zulu to, uh, you give her like one grade one try against the boys cigar mile before she retired you know if they want to run her at five you know that maybe that's when you take the shots but go win your breeders cup philly mary sprint with her because she ran almost too good to lose it to goodnight olive last year yeah i i think you, you leave her in the i like i said i look i i never trust all that trainer speak i'm not so sure that goodnight <laughs> olive was like or i'm sorry echo zulu and, and gunite and gunite's more excited to run against the elite power than train with echo zulu i would be <laughs> interested to see like if they ever did actually end up in a race would them train together negatively affect them in that race because they would almost want to go heads up against each other? And if they've had this competition going back and forth that lasts two years now, how would that happen? How would that react? How would they react on the actual race day, seeing the other one there next to them? Or with the Gunite, for instance, a length and a half back, you're like, are you going to try and run down Echo Zoo early just because of that training issue too? So we'll see what happens. But I, I don't think Ashton's going to end up having them in uh, in the same, both in the spring. I think you're going to split them up. Uh I'm sorry. I was thinking of uh, 2020 was Nashville. Um, that was the horse that. Yeah, never mind. It was Jackie's Warrior Jackie's last Warrior, year. Yeah, I, I feel like a complete jackass for forgetting about Jackie's Warrior. Thank you, Ron Esterman, for that uh, for that correction. He's pretty forgettable <laughs> considering his Breeder Cup efforts. Ooh, that's you know. I'll, I'll stop you when you're telling lies. We'll move on. Race 11, the Sword Dancer Stakes Grade One Breeders Cup winning you're in for the turf. By the way, I forgot, totally forgot. Ballerina Handicap, Breeders' Cup winning in for the Philly Mare Sprint. So Echo Zulu punched her ticket. All that said, Bolshoi Ballet punches his ticket to the turf. He heads back to, already heading back to Ireland. They're going to let him sit there for a minute, bring him back for the Grade 1 Joe Hirsch Turf Classic at Belmont Park, and target the Breeders' Cup turf at San Anita Park. You had the correct call on this horse. Uh, I thought Johnny V rode him very well, and he made the rest of these horses, which wasn't that great of a field, look pretty weak. Yeah, I thought Bolshoi Valley ran very, very well. Uh, trust the the real, not the fake here. Stone Age in the Brown Barn instead of the uh, Aiden O'Brien Barn. We saw what happened when the Aiden O'Brien horse comes over and absolutely rolls. I will say this for Stone Age. Uh, pretty bad trip. And, and people like say, oh, that wasn't that bad of a trip. It, it, going too wide three turns is not a good trip. And and then for Stone Age to have to like literally press a channel maker, I realize is not. 
I don't know what to say about Channel Maker. I'm going to say it's not that great. So I realize Stone Age has to press Channel Maker, but like never gets a break in the race. And as soon as Stone Age gets to the front, immediately attacked by Bolshoi Ballet. So absolutely no breather at any point for Stone Age. So I, I, I'm going to kind of take the Stone Age effort with a little bit of grain of salt here. But Bolshoi Ballet ran phenomenal. Soldier Rising did exactly what Soldier Rising does. Um, and look, our boy Daunt, we said, going to get fourth. There he is, sitting in that fourth spot. Uh, yeah, good call on that one. Um, the Pioneering Spirit and Soldier Rising, if you want to take a horse out of this, maybe one either of those. Nah, not Pioneering Spirit. I take that back. Soldier Rising. God, he, is he ever going to win one? It feels like he's just sitting. He's like Gufo 2.0, like Kevin B says in the chat. It's, he's sitting on a win at this. You can feel it. You just don't know where it's going to happen. And I, it's not going to be the Breeders' Cup, right? There's no way in hell that. I mean, that would just be like he's going to be like 30 to 1 that day. I'm, I'm going to go with more of Brock Emperor as the Soldier Rising. Oh, because I don't actually think Soldier Rising has won a race in the U.S. Uh, <laughs> I think it's been a minute or it either hasn't happened or been a minute. This horse ran second right first time in the U.S. Just has consistently been knocking on the door and just never able to get it done. You mentioned not a great state field. Pioneering Spirit, Linda Rice Horse, who had run one three straight on the turf coming into this, but literally been like a, an allowance or a claimer three back uh, and just kind of taking steps up on the turf the turf ladder i guess and now getting up there and running third in a grade one like this kind of surprising and shows you how good the field was uh i gotta say channel maker not hitting the board was one of the least surprising things after channel maker won last time out um but yeah this, this is not a great race and bullshelly belly came able, able to come in chip in and get the job done uh kevin bringing up interesting point pioneering experience being bet more than freaking bullshelly yeah, belly is insane you got to re realize Bolshoi Ballet had a very rough, very rough form coming into this spot. And Pioneering Spirit had was undefeated since Linda Rice had claimed him and put him onto the turf. And it's Linda freaking Rice. Like, there was a reason for that. Now, I did see someone make a point a few weeks ago that I thought was was correct. Is that and I was going to pay attention to the how the meet went. Is Linda Rice does fantastic with these horses at Saratoga until she puts them into these big stakes races. And then they just don't show up with that same effort. So... Uh, something interesting uh, to say at, at, at Car Ramrod for Rice Horse uh, winning 40k maiden claimers three months ago won a Grade One. I might never bet Naira again. Yeah, that's that that might do it. <laughs> uh, it looked like Pioneer Experience had a shot in this race too at one point before Bolshoi Ballet really opened up. It was like, oh, mm -hmm. wait a second here. This uh, Pioneer Spirit looks pretty good. And then obviously Soldier Rising just started chewing up ground late, but just never in time. Yeah. Uh, Somebody from Europe or Japan is going to win this division. Maybe Soldier Rising is a good horse to key underneath because you're going to get a good price on him. And, and damn it, he tries hard. I mean, at the very back of the field of the, on this yielding turf that he, you know, I don't think a lot of these horses struggle to get over. You know, for him to gobble up the ground and be five and a half lengths clear of third place, even if it was a you know 40k maiden claimer <laughs> in Pioneering Spirit, I didn't hate it. It just ugh, the, the Bolshoi Ballet can't be a turf winner this year. I mean, Soldier Rising also probably a pretty fast uh, final quarter of a mile there, too. If, if Bolshoi Ballet did it in sub-24 and Soldier Rising was, was going as fast as he was, I bet that was a very, very fast final quarter. Just, again, too much work to do coming down the lane to try and catch Bolshoi Ballet, who sat a perfect trip, by the way. Inside, every single turn, was able to go to the two-path and then go right around the, the seven-horse stone age at the top of the stretch and just open up on the, up front. I mean, absolutely beautiful ride by John Velasquez to save every inch of ground and just go forward with it. I'm going to see if I can find the uh, 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 Equibase. I was going to see if I could figure out how fast he actually finished that. Um, I, can, I can pull it up if you want to keep moving forward. It's yeah, we'll move forward. Yeah, that's I fine. I can pull you, it up on DRF. 
Go for it. I'll finalize this with the grade one Traverse Stakes, Saturday, August 26th, race 12. This was a race we were looking forward to. I will say, even though for my top pick, Forte didn't win, I thought this race pretty much lived up to the hype. Forte didn't quite show up with it, but Archangelo, what an impressive effort from this horse. What an amazing training job from Jenna Antonucci. First time since 2004 that the Traverse Stakes winner didn't have a prep in between that and winning the Belmont. Misses two and a half months. Mile and a half, mile and a quarter. Don't make no difference. Just like his daddy Archangelo did. Archangelo, or sorry, his daddy Arrogate. Archangelo wins uh, the Traverse Stakes. Um, talk up to me first about the winner before we move on. What would you think about Archangelo? Did you see it's a blinker super? Four horses <laughs> worth blinkers. One, two, three, four. No blinkers. Four, five, five, six, seven. That's easy game. That's all you got to do. Just handicap That's the blinkers. That's all you got to do. Uh, box up I, the blinkers i thought archangelo got a phenomenal trip a phenomenal ride ran very well handled the track very well which clearly was a factor in this race we'll get to that a little bit later um but just beautiful ride from javier castellano sitting right behind those three horses going into the stretch being able to go four wide get the first run on everybody and and really disarm saves all the ground but had to check when scotland was coming back there a little bit so disarm had to check in the stretch go inside of scotland over what seemed like an almost zero pole i mean there was no room there whatsoever and joel rosario kind of threaded the needle then had to flip outside of archangel was still closing late on him although i'm not sure how much that was castellano putting in cruise control and disarm running him down uh Look, great rest race here by Archangelo. Great trip from Castellano. Great training job by Jenna Antonucci. I don't know what to make of this race, though. I've watched it like four times. This is a career-worst effort from at least four horses in this field. Like, this is as bad as we've seen Forte. This is as bad as we've seen National Treasures. This is as bad as we've seen Scotland. This is as bad as we've seen Mage. Uh, All of them just didn't didn't do much at all um and, and disarm and archangelo able to take advantage of it tap it trice interesting to see him a little more forwardly placed with the blinkers never saved an inch of ground though it was three wide on the first turn three wide on the second turn uh, i thought he ran pretty well here to hold on to third but again everyone behind him just didn't fire at all so uh, just a very odd race from that perspective but archangelo javier castellano did a phenomenal job of getting this thing done yeah, they'll absolutely uh, loved everything about this effort from Archangelo. Uh, let's talk about Disarm. Boy, this guy was uh, Johnny Tryhard. This might be what we thought Mage was, which was a horse that's always going to show up and give you a great effort. Mage disappointed quite badly here. Disarm did not. Disarm and actually was gaining. You know, Archangelo had a three-length lead at the top of the stretch, and his final margin of victory was just a length. And when I was pulling up photos uh, from the race uh, for today, I forgot that Disarm was right there in all of these photos. You can see him showing up. So uh, a great sign from him. Is he ever going to be like a, a classic-style winner, though? Because I'm worried with his running style, Mike. He just needs an epic pace collapse in front of him, and that just at long distances on dirt just really doesn't happen that much. Uh, I mean, if Disarmed hadn't gotten stopped, I think he might have won this race. I think it was that close. That it, it, the, the issue that that's like Scotland backing up and Disarmed trying to go on the inside. Joel Rosario has to actually pull up and then fight back through that little hole on the inside. I, I thought it was a big effort. I mean, I don't know what to make of this race. I really don't. Because we talked about the track and how a lot of horses didn't like it. And I like, you know, you see this not, not fired or not fired or not good. I don't know how we can say Forte and Mage aren't good, right? That's that's one of my biggest issues with the not fired, not good thing. I mean, we have 
multiple race track record here that supports that they are good horses and these are clearly not their best efforts i mean you saw mage he was a mess in the front stretch he was a mess around the turn he was a mess in the back stretch platt never even asked him for anything once they got mm-hmm. to the far turn uh and forte just was spinning his wheels and, and you've just never seen forte spin his wheels ever except for that second race of his career where the track was impossible to close on so uh, like i'm not sure what to make with both the scotland national treasure yeah you can say okay they are probably a couple low here scotland stepping up big time national treasure i think we all agree that that preakness specifically was a pace added win because of what the setup was uh, but like I don't know how much credit I'm willing to give to this race overall because Disarm ran second, because Forte Mage didn't run well, because Tappet Trice was three wide all the way and I thought ran pretty good. Like it, To me, this was just an upside-down race in a lot of ways, and there's too many data points that were illogical to me going into the race that happened that make me want to think this is a very logical race to take a ton from going out of it. Uh, you know, I see people blaming, and I saw this all weekend too, people were blaming Pratt for Mage's uh, defeat there. Uh, but I'm watching the replay back again now for how he broke. And he was, yes, he broke well, he, which is not something we've seen a lot from Mage. He broke well, but then you had the issue where Forte and Irad just came out into the three path, which pushed Archangelo. Luckily, Tappet Trice is Tappet Trice, so he was already six lengths back. Uh, but Archangelo gets forced out into Mage. And then you had National Treasure in Scotland all both trying to come down, and Scotland did do it. And at that point, I mean, Pratt had to... People are saying he choked him. Pratt had to pull him back because he was about to clip heels with Scotland. And then you had Archangelo go inside of Forte. It pushes Mage 3 wide. And then he drops back to the rear. And then after that, it was just not that. It was just just a bad bad situation all around for there. I think you can scratch off Mage's effort here. I did kind of like this. Sounds weird. Pratt knew he had nothing left (laughs) through the turn. Just kind of like let the horse come home. Um... But we'll see what they do with Mage because we've seen a lot better efforts from him. Like, look at the Haskell. Look at obviously the Kentucky Derby. Look at the uh, the Florida Derby. Like he is a very talented horse, just like Forte. Wasn't their day. I did hear that Mage and Forte from people who were there, both of them were not acting well beforehand as well. So you've got that to consider. Um, Tappet Trice getting third, I think, was a big surprise to me. The blinkers seemed like they helped him, right? He hit the board in the grade one Traverse stakes. Uh, the problem is, Mike, I wanted him to kind of do poorly here and keep the blinkers, and the next race I'd get him at like 20, 30, 20. I was like, that's the time you play Tappet Trice, second time blinkers. Um, what do you do with him moving forward? Who knows? I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> who who the hell knows what you do with Tappet Trice? I, I think Tappet Trice is probably best with the blinkers on, not on the lead, saving ground and then tilting out, but he hates being inside of horses. So like the mm-hmm. best possible running style for him is a running style he hates. And so it's hard to really be like, okay, this is how we're going to see this horse run its best possible race. I think Tappet Trice is just overhyped at this point and, and needs to drop down at the grade two level, the grade three level or the mid American Derby where you're not facing these upper tier. And, you know, I think there's a lot of different, uh, a lot of different takes in the chat that are, that are interesting. Um, First off, this one, I, this is not the second. Archangel and Mage only faced once. This is the first time they faced. Yeah, this is the next, second time National Treasure beating him, which I was kind of surprised there. Um, and National Treasure. You never should have taken the blinkers off of him. That was I, so stupid. I don't know why they had the blinkers off. I don't know why National Treasure didn't go either. Like that to me was was as surprising as anything else. That Johnny let Scotland go. Who set the pace. And, and John, like what we saw with National Treasure in the Preakness 
is Velasquez just pushing everybody out. You could have done the exact same thing here and won the race to the turn and then just tried to hold on. For some reason, that wasn't the choice. And that's, you know, again, Chris, rating National Treasure, it was a decision. Yeah, it was. And it was an interesting one. Not sure what we're doing there. So just really interesting. I, I think someone brought up here, you know, and this is Nick. I wonder if this group was better early and now I've just gotten caught up and passed. I think that definitely could be the case where some of these three-year-olds have not progressed in the summer in the way we may have thought. I still like I, to me, this is a, a line through it race for like four of these horses. I'm not going to take this as a, a solid data point because of how many struggled with the track, how they were acting before it, how the weight race ran out. Um, it's, this is just kind of muddies up this whole three year old picture in my mind, because, like, yes, you have to upgrade Archangel. Don't get me wrong there. But I like so if for if Disarm and Forte are both in the Breeders' Cup Classic, everyone who's shitting on Forte wants Disarm at a shorter price. Is I'm assuming that's what they're saying. Because I don't think anyone would bet that. No. So, <laughs> like, to me, there, there's just, you got to be willing to say in this spot, there's a lot of things in this race that were funky that I'm just willing to kind of be like, okay, just just let it go. And we'll see where they come out of this. Because I, I don't want to take too much away from this race and overreact to this race, which causes me to be in some bad situations wagering on these horses in the future. Uh, this is a... Uh... I'm going through now and reading all this stuff in the chat. This is, uh, you're right. There have been some, some shit to take. We're not teasing. I'm just teasing, by the way. But please keep keep bringing your takes. Whether Mike and I agree with them or not, I mean. I kind of like this one. It doesn't really matter. I like this one. Rob coming in hot. Red Route 1, better than Tap at Trice. I mean, I don't hate it. I mean, Red Route 1 needs the setup. But I, like. So does Tap at Trice. And, and Red Route 1 actually wins. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. And that, that one, that one's just mean. Mage would dust Ritz Strike. Not even close if they're both run their best race. Well, yeah, Rich Strike is with Bill Mott. If you should, if you want Rich Strike to win that match race, you send him to uh, oh shoot, Victor Barboza Jr. down in Florida. By the way, complete tangent here. Um, you remember Long Range Toddy? Hadn't won a race since the 2021 2020 Rebel. Yeah. He's now won two straight since he got sent to Victor Barboza Jr. at Gulfstream Park, and he's looked like like he's setting career high buyers down there. Everybody talk about Linda Rice. Somebody go investigate Bar. I know he gets investigated a lot. Some somebody go take care of Barboza. This is ridiculous. Anyways, uh yeah, long range toddy has won twice and he looks like uh the second coming of Pharaoh all of a sudden. Um all right, so this was not an official Breeders' Cup when you're in for the classic, but I would assume Archangelo goes there and probably will go there fresh, right? That's how he came into this one. Um Disarm is probably gonna go that direction. Uh, the other horses, do you go classic, do you go dirt mile, or do you pass on the Breeders' Cup with them? Um, I would guess Forte and Mage both go to the classic. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if National, Tre National Treasure ends up in the dirt mile. And I think Tappet Trice and Scotland probably don't end up in anything. I think I agree with you on that one. Uh, assuming everybody, of course, is uh, is training well, comes out of this race, okay, yada yada yada, all that uh, all that trainer BS. Um, one about, more Breeders' Cup. Sorry, what go about ahead. Tap at Trice to the marathon? Wouldn't that just be like the way to end the year? Everyone's Belmont horse wins the Breeders' Cup marathon. <laughs> that would be kind of funny. Yeah, and that race. I mean, it, as long as Lone Rock and Diodoro's Juice aren't in there. 
Uh, usually that race goes to a, like the things collapse and it's just one horse that's grinding everybody out because he's like, oh, two miles. Yeah, this is nothing. Let's go. Well, our boy ran second in that race. If he can run second, tap it twice, could he at least hit the board? That's true. Oh, shit. Could I get like a, a somebody, Tiz and Magician, tap it trice, trifecta, play yeah. it straight. Damn. There you we're, go. we're never going to get that. <laughs> uh, one more race to talk about the uh, from this past weekend, the Great Two Pat O'Brien Stakes. It's British Cup winning for the Dirt Mile. It's a seven for a long sprint. Go figure that one out. Um, it's, Anarchist wins this race. I don't want any of these horses in the Dirt Mile. I want to bring this up because I want none of these. I don't think Anarchist even wants seven furlongs, let alone eight in two turns. No, no, I don't. I mean, CZ Rocket is probably going to be in the Dirt Mile. We'll see what happens there. I don't like anybody here in the Dirt Mile, though. I, I mean, maybe I'm a sucker for Spirit of McKenna at some point again. And we talked a little about Spirit of McKenna before the show. Uh, got an absolute awful trip in what was that? The Bing Crosby now comes back yep. in the Pat O'Brien. And I don't know why Joe Bravo decided to go 21 and three with this horse early, but we did. And we're on the lead and then makes the lead at the top of the stretch and just gasses out way before the finish line. I still think there's a lot of talent there. I think we just need to trip at some point. Maybe now Spirit of McKenna comes back and you're looking at six, seven to one instead of three to one. Um, but you you kind of need something between the Breeders' Cup sprint and this if you're going to actually bet the horse in the Breeders' Cup sprint as well, especially with what we saw from the West Coast. Oh, look, this is, you know, this is like a B, maybe C-level group of sprinters right now. Is that fair? I think that's generous. <laughs> Listen, maybe you brickyard ride you'd assume that he's a speedball he'll probably go to the sprint um spirit of mckenna i would assume that, that these horses they target the breeders cup they target the san Anita sprint championship which is a winning year in for the sprint um hoist the gold didn't really show up which i kind of thought was uh disappointing he was you know other, other than what happened with spirit mckenna i thought hoist the gold was a little disappointing yeah, no, I don't want I don't want anything from this. Uh, I have it highlighted here on the screen. The, look at those final splits: twenty five yeah. and one, thirteen and a half to finish. Like these are not these are slow caballos. These are not fast horses going to, for the dirt mile. Cody's wish would have inhaled Anarchist uh, at the three sixteenths and shit him out by the time Anarchist actually crossed the wire. Like all you really need to know about this race is that Bye Bye Bobby was dead last in tenth, dead last in tenth, dead last in tenth. And 33 to 1 and was flying at the end to make it not close, but at least like, you know, you had to pause a little bit there because it got within a length. I mean, would, you rarely see stumble bunnies in a grade two. There was a lot of stumble bunnies when we turned for home here. And look at the, the times. I mean, 21 and 3, 24 and 2, like just flying early causes an absolute collapse late. It was a it was a ridiculous race. Uh, but listen, it's not. It's not Del Mar's fault, and then speaking of Del Mar, Mike, they've got their main event of the entire meet coming up this weekend, the 2023 Pacific Classic. This is a win in your in for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, looks like it's going to be a possible field of nine here. Uh, we'll go through them, starting with the three-year-olds. Go Rocket Ride is going to go here, uh, as will Arabian Night and Skinner, which is really interesting because, especially for Skinner, there is the shared belief stakes. It's ungraded. It's restricted to three-year-olds. There's like, you know, the 23rd best Baffert that's still alive is a three-year-old right now is going to go into the shared belief and probably win it. I'm surprised Skinner's going here and not there, but between these three-year-olds, any interest in them for the Pacific Classic to win it? I mean, the, the lack of respect being shown toward the older horses by entering Skinner in here tells you pretty much all you need to know about the older Ooh. horses in California right now. Am I crazy to think this is Arabian Night and go rocket ride? 
Like, I, it, it feels like they should be the two betting favorites in this race, and they are two most likely winners of this race. I think it says a lot that you chose to be here instead of being at, at in the Travers, a race we just talked about, uh, where it's four three-year-olds, million-dollar race. Instead, you're going here. You're running in the Pacific Classic. I get you're staying home. I understand that. But rarely do you see three-year-olds running the Pacific Classic. It's not a, something we see where it's three every year. And this year, you've got three of them, including Skinner. So when you scroll down, it's like, I kind of get it though. I mean, it's Stiletto Boy. It's it's like it just Roly. <laughs> it's our boy. Uh, what's his face? Slow down, Andy. And it's American yep. Admiral. It's Tripoli. And it's it's just like, oh, <laughs> okay, all right. We're just running this back from three years ago to see who can win the Pacific Classic. So, I, I think it's the three year olds here. I, I think it's it's Go Rocket Ride. I think it's American Lion. And I think it's going to be a good race. You've got uh, uh, Tripoli uh, in here. Um, which is, I love this quote from John Sadler. He said, Tripoli was fifth in the prep, which was the grade two San Diego, and the jockey said he had some trouble. With good luck, he would have been second. I will remind you, Senior Buscador won the San Diego handicap. He didn't lose to Arabian Night, Go Rocket Ride, defunded. He lost to Senior Buscador, and Sadler's response is, Oh, with good luck, we would have been second to that horse. Let's go to the Pacific Classic. I think we can. Now, this horse won in 2021, but no offense to our boy, Tis a Magician. Tis a Magician was second in that race. That was like people were saying before the race went off that that might have been the worst quality field the Pacific Classics ever had in its existence. So, yeah, the, the fact that he's there. You've got Katona, who won the Pleasanton Mile, and that's what up north on the fair circuit, and that's what gives him the, the right to come in the Pacific Classic. At least the three-year-olds are here, because especially with no defunded, this is like Stiletto Boy and a whole bunch of... Yeah, I mean, I, we're going to learn a lot in this race about the... Th if Stiletto Boy wins by open lengths, we're, we found out all we need to know about this three-year-old class at that point, right? I mean, because Go yeah. Rocket Ride was able to beat Mage, looked very good. We were all high on that horse early in the season. If Go Rocket Ride gets dusted in this race and it's not by Arabian Night, um, this could be a, just like a, an epically wide open classic. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Kevin. I, I posted up because I thought it was funny. He said Repo Rocks would win by 10 lengths here. I think he was talking about the Pat O'Brien. Um, if it wasn't for the three-year-olds, he might win this race by 10 lengths, though. Um, some other older horses, you know, that are out here, practical move, actually, sorry, not older horse, but three-year-old practical moves coming back. But I don't think the Breeders' Cup is even going to be in play for him. I would be very surprised. I think they take their time with him and it's a four-year-old campaign. And after, you know, defunded, it would probably come back as a six-year-old. Stiletto Boy might come back. But there's a, a big opening on the California dirt circuit next year for older horses. I think for Yakteen, that's the right thing to do with practical move and you know, the horse is, has done a lot, a world of good for him this year. I think he's going to take his time there. But yeah, defunded waiting for the awesome again, I guess. That's it's saying, yeah, that's a Breeders' Cup winning you're in. I, I don't know. This is, I, I'm with you. I think it's Go Rocket Ride, Arabian Night. Now, let me ask you this. Does Looking at this probable field here, does Arabian Night turn the tables on the Haskell? Because he was third that day. It's a race that Baffert wins a lot. People thought Arabian Night was going to do it, and Go Rocket Ride got the tables turned. So, or, or Go Rocket Ride beat him. So, does Arabian Night turn the tables in the Pacific Classic? I, I like Go Rocket Ride right now. I, I like the way that I talked about Go Rocket Ride on Monday. I, I, I'm not going to. Last Monday, when we were talking about top three year olds, I'm not really going to flip the script here and say he's not going to get the job done. So, I, I'm still in the Go Rocket Ride camp. We'll see what the prices are, see how that affects it, see what the pace setup is, go through everything when we have final entries. But uh, the early look would be Go Rocket Ride for me.
God bless Del Mar. They're doing the draw for this Tuesday. So we'll actually know this field before Saratoga's uh, field come, or Saratoga's Saturday card is drawn. So I don't understand the move. If you're going to draw one race, you wait till the next day to draw the rest of them. Like, why not just do all of them? But hey, you know, beggars can't be choosers. We should be happy that something good is happening <laughs> with this. So I, I just also got an email from my racehorse telling me that I no longer own any part of Tis the Magician. Dude, I got that. Well, yeah, we, they finally did the payout. I thought that was kind of nice that we at least got like a little extra $22 payout. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. that part of my Oh, life. man, there it is. There's that email. Yep. Yeah. See, we talk about him and the devil, devil doth appear. We didn't make money on him. No, you, that's, that's, that's the thing. If you're investing in my racehorse to make money, don't. If you're doing it to have fun, okay, cool. But yes, you ended up losing $23 on, on, Tis a magician, even after everything. We we spent three hundred twenty dollars for a share of Tis a magician. I thought it was half that. I thought it was one sixty two. So I kind of assumed I bought two shares. Well, you know what? Maybe I did too. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened. All right, we were both thinking it was one hundred sixty uh, for that one. Um, yeah, we don't get any of that stud fee. No, no, we do not. He wasn't a grade one winner, so we didn't even get a bonus on that. But uh, oh well. Uh, <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Magic Mike Show. Thanks for joining Mike and I to talk about uh, everything from Saratoga. Hopefully it was cathartic for you. Uh, the chat, you guys were really great. Really appreciate uh, the comments, keeping everything civil, keeping everything, uh, you know, with such an emotional topic. It was The chat, you guys were wonderful. And then once we got to talking about the Breeders' Cup rankings and stuff, things really took off. So that was a lot of fun. If you haven't yet, subscribe to YouTube.com slash Racing Dudes because... Now the focus is going to be the Breeders' Cup. We have just over two months left for the World Championships at San Anita Park, uh, the first Friday and Saturday of November. Uh, that's what our focus is going to be now. Now that the Traverse is done, Saratoga will be done after this weekend. Thank God uh, we can move forward for that. So make sure you subscribe. Make sure you're going to racingdudes.com and checking out all of the previews that we have, the news videos that we have, and, of course, the Samo Bombs, Mike. And you mentioned that you hit the late pick four at Del Mar on Sunday. So... Tip of the cap, you've been doing pretty well at Del Mar this meet. Yeah, Del Mar has been absolutely rolling. Saratoga has been frustrating because it seems like you hit like four out of five every time. It's the one random horse that gets you. But Del Mar absolutely been rolling all meet. Hopefully we can keep it up this weekend. Uh, over here, oops, I put the band, the overlay up too soon. Over here at RacingDudes.com, you can check out the top five horses right now by division. Of course, Aaron put Archangelo first for the three-year-olds. But take a look at the video to find out where he ranks among the top five horses overall. That's Older horses, that's fillies and mares, that's turf, that's going short, going long. Uh, check that out there. We've got the previews up from the, the the week ahead if Saratoga does run. Not 100% sure they're going to run uh, the rest of this meet here, but we've got the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday previews. And of course, Kentucky Downs is back. We are not going to be covering them as much as we have in the past because they decided to jack the takeout way up and... The only thing that was nice about Kentucky Downs was that was that because otherwise I think I would go one for five quite frequently there. So don't have that. Like but it is angles? Kentucky Downs. What's that? You don't, you don't like the camera angles? It's the only race. Oh god, I forgot seen. about that. It's the only racetrack I've ever seen the winner's photo taken in a photo finish, like in the winner's circle, and then the photo comes out. It was the other horse. <laughs> That's the, I still remember that happening last year. That was oh, pretty geez. classic. And there was an article on DRF today that really pissed me off because. They mentioned, oh, well, we raised the purses $6 million, but we had to raise takeout because we had to pay Hissa $650K. And I'm sitting there thinking, why couldn't you just raise the purses $4 million and pay Hissa $650K and not raise the takeout? Like, you're, you could have just done this another way instead of screwing over the horse player. So that was a little bit frustrating. Um, 
I miss Sam Houston still. I like I know Davey just mentioned I miss Lone Star. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was thinking go. that's what you were talking about. I miss I miss Sam Houston too. Yeah, and Car Ramrod. I miss Sam Houston. I mean, it's amazing. There's like literally the best tracks to bet right now going, and and we can't bet them because of Hissa, who is also costing us, according to Kentucky Downs, uh, a raise takeout there as well, which is kind of ridiculous. So uh, absolute mess there. It's a shame. Uh, I'll probably play the tournaments in Kentucky Downs, but I'm probably not going to be firing very big. Yeah, we'll have. Like I said, we'll have coverage on the website for that. As far as the actual previews go, if it's a slow week. We might do something. Otherwise, uh, yeah, not really sure we're going to keep going down that road. Uh, but once more, thanks. Sorry, go ahead. Real quick. The 1% takeout. I agree. Not a huge raise. Here's the problem. You raise the purses $5 million, and then you raise the takeout. You just raised the look. No one wasn't going to Kentucky Downs because the purses weren't big enough. The purses were fine as they were. They're already massive. You don't need to then go, oh, we're going to do five million more dollars just so we make sure we get that. It's already easily the highest purses of any freaking meat. All yeah. you're doing is raising the purses because you want to say you raised the purses. Fine. Do it two million and don't raise the takeout. Like there are so many other ways this could have been done. But to justify it then with we're raising it five million in the same interview, say, Oh, by the way, the 650k from his is why we're raising takeout is just asinine. It's like I'm it's like bragging about this over here and then saying, but I need some money over here so that we can pay for this other thing. It's just ridiculous. I got the uh, opening day card pulled up here. The lowest purse is actually the maiden special weights, 150,000. They have literally $250,000 allowance races there. So let's let's do quick math. Four hundred. Uh, what's that? Five fifty. Seven hundred. Nine fifty. So there's about just under two million dollars in purses. They just lowered those purses by twenty percent. You could pay the hissa fee just in one day. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous that you're saying, "Oh, well, we need to take this out of the gambler's pocket after we've already raised everything over here, literally ten x what we're being fined." The uh, where is I was trying to find. Oh, they don't have any starter allowance races carded yet. But like the starter allowance races are, are triple digits. Like that's yeah. that's ridiculous. Like I get that you, you know. No, that's that's just ridiculous. Don't do that. <laughs> Power to the horse players. That's what we say here. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. I'm at Chris Kellard. He's at Summer Bomb eighteen number one number eight. The NFL season is starting soon. The actual season, not the bullshit preseason. And if you want some great NFL advice and tips and picks, follow this guy right here. He's pretty damn sharp at that stuff. Uh, I got some sharp money going on with Mike Samich's NFL picks. So make sure you check him out for that. Corporal Lords at Racing underscore Dudes. Huge weekend for Labor Day. We've got uh, Jockey Club, Gold Cup, Flower Bowl, Hopeful, Spinaway Stakes. Of course, the Pacific Classic. Lots of fun happening over at RacingDudes.com. Any final words, Mr. Samich? Yeah, you're making fun of the preseason bets. I believe I was 3-0 in the preseason this weekend on Dudes Who Bet Daily when I sent picks in. You were 2.5-0. Well, no. Okay. The <laughs> the Lions won. You don't get credit the for the Lions. Won, you screwed up on that yeah. one. But the Titans won, which is the one I was trying to bet. And that undercashed pretty easily last night as well. Yeah, that's true. All right. I was. It's more. I wasn't making fun of you for that. It's more just that the preseason in general to me yeah. is just. It's I got undefeated on Dudes Who Bet Daily, and this is the shitty takes on Monday. Unbelievable. <laughs> You did a lot better than I did on YouTube, but daily, which is every Thursday through Sunday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Uh, make sure you like the video if you haven't. And of course, once again, subscribe to youtube.com slash racing dudes. Why did I do that? That was crazy. Until Thursday when we're back for probably Pacific Classic Day at Sarah at Del Mar. We'll cover that on Thursday's show. I'm Magic. 
And I'm Mike. Good luck this week. The Magic Mike Show, where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show, tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show, you can trust the show is the bomb because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com.